interesting truth in our attorney Shirley Skyers Thomas. We explore a simple question of whether there is equity in the justice system. The content offered in this segment is personal reflection and interpretation. The views of my guests are not necessarily the views of Fluid Truth or Quinnipiac University. For clarity, this conversation has been edited. I'm pleased to introduce Mr. Clyde Terralong as my guest today. Mr. Terralong is a former track and field athlete and the current assistant coach and sprints and jumps coach at Fayetteville State University. He was an accomplished collegiate and professional athlete who specialized in the 800 meter and the 400 meter. Mr. Terralong was twice an Olympian for Jamaica, competing in the 1992 Summer Olympics in Barcelona and the 1996 Olympic Games in Atlanta. He has a plethora of, of athletic honors, awards, and accolades. I'm so glad that Mr. Terralong sat down with me and shared his story and experience with us here at Fluid Truth. I am so excited for my guest today, Mr. Clive Terralong. Clive, welcome. Glad you're here. Thank you, Mrs. Thomas. I'm excited to be here and being able to share my story with you today. Yeah, so overarchingly, I always ask, is there equity in the justice system? And I know you have a story to tell. You have some lived experiences that really kind of speak to it. So I'd love to hear first before we jump in with both feet. Tell me a little about yourself. Well, originally from Jamaica, St. Andrew, Jamaica. Um, finished high school in the U.S. Uh, ran for Jamaica national team, Olympic team, um, two Olympic team. Um, several world championship team. Actually, I am a world champion for Jamaica. Um, the only 800 meter runner in the Caribbean ever to win a gold medal at a global event. So it's a big thing, not just for Jamaica, but for the Caribbean. Um, the only, only to be the only athlete to ever win a global event in track and field. Um, so I'm very excited about that. Went to Lincoln University. Was 19-time All-American there, had a few NCAA records, and then I move on to the professional level. So now I'm now I'm coaching. Um, coach at University of Connecticut for 13 years, and now I'm in in North Carolina with my friend Ines Turner, um, helping Fayetteville State University. That's amazing. Well, what's your event? Just tell me one more time. What event have you exceeded in for all these uh, accolades and medals and honors? Well, my event was the 400 and 800. So uh, my goal was for the 800. So I'm an 800 world champion, but um, I won both 400 and 800 multiple time at the NCAA championships. So those were my events. That's amazing. So in all of your, um, your environment of athleticism, you must have seen a couple of instances that either speak to equity on the positive side or speak to equity on the negative side. So tell me what you've seen. Yeah, well, um, so I have several stories, but you know, some of them stand out. Um, personal stories, I don't like to go off mainly what other people say, but my own personal stories, um, you know, when I was in college um, at Lincoln, it was known that it was notoriously known the Jersey Turnpike you do not want to ride in a car as a black man with multiple black people in a car because you would get pulled over. And not only just the Jersey Turnpike, but also 95 going down to Maryland or DC was 
very notorious for that, but I had my own experience going from from college to the Bronx. I had a friend, uh, one of my teammates, James Bell, that lived in the Bronx, and I went with him, went home with him one time for Thanksgiving, um, and another one um, in Newark, New Jersey, um, Arthur James, AJ, and we were in a car on the Jersey Turnpike, and you know we got pulled over, you know, several. Um, state trooper cars showed up um, for three, well it was four of us, four young black men in a car we asked them why they pulled us over, they said we were speeding, but the speeding was, I think if, it's, if the speeding limit was 65, I think we were going maybe three miles over, so maybe going 68 over the speed limit, so it wasn't very you know, pronounced speeding, but you know, they had to find a reason to pull us over you know, take us out of the car, put us on, uh, in handcuffs on the sidewalk, sitting on the sidewalk by the side of the highway, and while they search our car, you know, as young men, you didn't realize some of your rights, like they had to provide a search warrant, which they didn't provide. They just asked about, about drugs, and you know, they insinuate that we had drugs, um, especially since they heard I had a Jamaican accent. And, oh, you from Jamaica? Is yes, and you know, so where's the weed? You know, like what we 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 don't have any weed. We're college students. Not only that, we're college students. We also college athletes. So, and we 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 take our team is very serious. You know, we are a national um, caliber team. So we're not risking or doing any drugs. We're trying to be as good as we can in the classroom and be as good as we can on the field. So, you know, then you know they wind up just letting us go, no ticket, nothing. After they did what they did and didn't see anything, they didn't realize and they let us let us go so you know so that situation was one college time for you is mid-90s right yeah so again you were saying at that point people didn't really know their rights weren't going to push against any officers coming to the car probably anyway however when they left and you and your teammates are sitting in the car what are you thinking well at that time it's just you kind of in a like kind of a state of shock to some extent and just because you don't know exactly what they're going to do you know you don't know what they exactly they're going to do you know you, you didn't do anything illegal but that doesn't stop someone from doing something if they have some kind of intent in their mind or the reason why they pull us over is if we were going fast and they would give us just give us a ticket not put us in handcuffs not have us sitting on the curb so you don't know exactly what they're going to do so you know we talked to our coach and stuff um, I think I remember one incident. We, my coach actually filed a complaint, but then there was nothing, nothing happened after that. So it just like it just basically like went away, disappeared. Uh, so was this an, uh, one of many things that happened? So was it were you kind of dismissive of it, or I mean, I know you're telling me that it stuck out to you. So even to this yeah, day, was- 25, 30 years later, it feels like something. Yeah, it was one of many, um, and I think, I think part of it is that we get so used to hearing these stories and seeing these things that it become almost normal or normalized in our mind that okay, they're going to do this, and there's nothing really going to happen to them, or there's nothing going to come of it, even if they even if they went farther, you know, there's nothing really going to come of it. It become a little bit normalized i mean 
there's you know like I said it's one of many there's several there's one story that my gold medal actually saved save us from actually getting the car search and that in that situation we were going from Pennsylvania to Boston and we was on we got almost to Boston we used actually going to visit my friend Gary uh, Mark Thomas um, sister who was in college in Boston at Emory University and it was three of us in the car we got almost to Boston it was we was on 91 and this was in 95 yeah it was 95 because it was the year I won my gold medal I won a gold medal in 95 in Barcelona and it was after that we I think in the fall we were going up to the university and we got to Boston and we got on 91 and we got pulled over by a state trooper and I was driving three of us was in the car and they separated us when they take us out of the car you know it's the same thing why you pull us over it, oh you guys you were speeding and then they but they separate us they took me to the back of the car um, they had one person stay right by the car and one person far away at the front so we couldn't hear with each other so they separate us to ask us questions and again the, the same thing came up because of all three of us in the car are Jamaicans and all three of us had you know our Jamaican accent so the same thing it was like well you guys are Jamaican where's the weed at so the, the big question was like if you had drugs when we said we didn't have drugs the big question to him was if you had drugs where would you keep the drugs and I keep repeating we don't have drugs um, you know we are college athletes I said I actually just graduated I'm a I'm a world champion. I just represent my country in the world championship. He said, "Did you did you win?" I said, "Yeah, I actually did. I, I'm a world champion." And he said, "No, you're you you're not serious." And I said, "Yeah, I'm a world champion." He said, "Okay, let's hold that for a minute. Let's go back to the drug. Where would you just just humor me? Just you know, just where would you put it?" He kept asking, kept asking. I said, "Well, and, you know, I think about it because he will stop and give me some time to respond. So I think about it." I said, well, maybe if I was, if I had drugs, I probably would put it in a spare tire. And he said, "Aha!" So that's where the drugs is. And I said, "We don't have any drugs. Why you keep saying about drugs? We don't do drugs. We're college athletes, and we're just going to visit our, our friend in in Boston." And you know, he said, "So you say you're a world champion? Um, if I ask those guys." Who was the world champion right now? He said, what event? I said, the 800. I said, if I ask those guys, who was the world champion in the event right now, would they know? Would they say you? I said, yeah, go ask them. So he went and asked them, who was the world champion right now in the 800? And they both said me. And that's when him and the other one, they decided to, okay, we're going to let you guys go. And again, no ticket for anything. It was just a matter of seeing us and deciding to stop us you know we were in in a nice car and young black man and they just decided to stop us and let us go again you know and even you know even beyond that even after that as i got older and got into college i still faced some of got into coaching i still faced some of those things you know tell me about that because again your stories are indicative of this big problem Unfortunately, it's not just you, but I'm certain that it's been heightened because of your accent and because of of how you uh, how people perceive you when they see you. I'm certain it's heightened, but you're not the only one, which is so unfortunate. But 
as you kind of go on and tell me more about some of these other things that have happened, I wonder if you've ever reflected and gotten angry or gotten, you know, kind of pissed off at the system. Have you? Have you gotten angry? Have you gotten annoyed with how we do how we do policing here in this country? Yeah, I've, I've gotten angry several times. Sometimes I, I do reflect on it and say, you know, there's situations, you know, like the, the stories that, you know, last summer, all the Black Lives Matter, and you think of, you know, I could have been in George Floyd's situation. That could have been a situation where I got killed in certain situations or we get killed in certain situations. So even when, you know, the uh, Black Lives Matter movement start, it made me start even getting more angry because I'm thinking like, you know, right now we're, we're standing up for ourselves and there's others that, that's marching with us and trying to help the justice system. And I'm like, this is going on for so long. This has been going on for, you know, for so long. And, you know, most people are just saying, well, we can't do anything about it and just turn a blind eye to it because they are, they are the police officers and for some some reason it looked like they are above the law you know so we can they can get away with just you know searching the car or asking us questions or telling us certain things and they walk away from it but yeah of course it, it, it left a mark on me forever and whenever I see the police officer it's the same you get the same feeling again if they pull me over you know what are they pulling me over for? Because, you know, most of the time I didn't do anything or none of the time I've done anything that was warranted being pulled over, so. No, I follow that fully and especially since the beginning of your story, you started from in the mid nineties, you were just a young man. You were just, you know, emerging in your field, just kind of starting to step out. And now as you are a professional and you're doing what you do with students and your coaching and you're interacting with both faculty, staff, and students, are you having some other challenges as this comes to how you are perceived? Yeah, well, um, as I got hired, um, when I finished running, competing, and I got hired at University of Connecticut at UConn, and so now I'm a faculty, and I'm, I was in Rhode Island at the time, I was at Brown University before, um, before I went to Connecticut, and I was driving back and forth for the first couple of weeks when I got hired because I need, didn't get an um, apartment, apartment right away. Um, I rented a house and it wasn't ready, so I was driving back and forth for a couple of weeks. So one day I was coming in, you know, maybe about four, maybe about three or four miles from the university. I got pulled over um, by a cop, and I saw the cop. I saw him sitting at the side of the road. I looked at my my speedometer. I make I know I wasn't speeding, so I wasn't worried about it. But you know, down, a little bit down the road, I see him coming very fast, flashing his light, and I actually thought he was going to go by me here because of some emergency, and he, you know, pulled up right behind me. And I pulled over. And he asked me, where am I going? And I told him, you know, to UConn, I'm going to work. And he said, you work at University of Connecticut? I said, yeah. He said, you, you look so young. I said, yeah, I'm, I, I just got hired um, like two weeks ago. Um, I'm an assistant coach. And he said, um, 
so where did you get this nice car? And I said, said to him, well, well, you know, I ran professionally for a while and now I'm working for the University of Connecticut. So that's why I buy, that's the reason I have a nice car. And he said, you, you sure you can afford this car? You know, those type of questions. And I'm like, of course I can afford the car. I bought the car because, you know, I, I gave him my license, my registration. So, you know, you can see the registration is in my name. So, of course, it's my car. I was driving a BMW X5 and I just think he just thought, at the moment, he thought I was probably younger than I, I was. And he looked at my license and he said, he's, he had that question about, you know, you look so you look so young how do you afford this car i said you have my license in your hand look at it i'm 30 something i'm not that young and he said okay well you know um you were swerving like are you tired i said no i'm not tired it's a morning time i just got up so and uh, he said okay well just just make sure you watch watch yourself but it was all the question about how do you afford this car where did you get this car from you know, all those type of questions. You sure you work for University of Connecticut? So I had to take out my University of Connecticut ID and show them that I'm a faculty, say right on the ID, faculty, University of Connecticut faculty. And, you know, so I was like, yeah, I'm, you know, I deal with students at University of Connecticut. And, you know, but again, they run, they run everything and everything was fine. And then it's, it's okay, have a nice day. And, you know, and there's no, there's no justification again for pulling me over because again I saw him, I know I wasn't speeding and because I wasn't I wasn't late, I wasn't you know, I, there was no rush, I was taking my time to get to the campus and yeah, so even and you know, that's you know, that's we talking about mid nineties and now we're talking about mid two thousand. So that's a big span of you know, time run, having these run ins with, with, with officers and um, law enforcement out here in um, on the, the, the streets. So the run-ins in the 90s did not change in terms of you being identified as someone of interest for whatever reason, even just driving, and in the mid-2000s, someone yeah. of interest. Now, you at this point, you're a Olympian, you're a gold medalist, you're a Hall of Famer, you've broken tons of records. Do you feel like you should not be impeded by these types of challenges? Well, I don't look at it as like because I'm Olympia, because I do that. I just look at it that black people shouldn't be impeded just because you're black. You know, African-Americans should, shouldn't be impeded just because you're African-American. You should be impeded if you break the law. You know, if an officer come and say, uh, you know, which I've heard this one too, you know, well, there was a store robbery and you fit the suspect. You fit the description. Like, what description? Just a black man in a car, you know, so that shouldn't be a reason for for you to get harassed by um, the officer. It's, it's for anybody should get arrested by the officer, whether you're, you know, 19 years old when I, or 18 years old when I, my first year when that first happened, to 30 years old when the, the, you know, that last incident I described was, no one should be um, impeded or be harassed by law enforcement um, for any reason listen there is a real reason that some there is a reason why um, they pull you over stop you uh, or take you in custody you make a really good point and I just want to jump back for just a second 
Earlier in the conversation, you said that during the Black Lives Matter movement, when it really got um, to its height or at, at a height, I'm presuming this is 2020 that you're talking about, during George, yeah. George Floyd and, and some of the unrest. So during the unrest, did you feel strongly about change? Or were you, was this a sad feeling or was this a feeling of we just need to change? Because I, I had my own um, revelations during that period of time. But uh, I really want to hear yours. I think it's a multidimensional uh, feeling for me because it's a sad feeling that we're still going through this. And then it was also uh, some excitement because it felt a little bit different from all most of the marches we saw before. It felt a little bit different. And I'm... I, I think a lot changed. I remember when I first came to America, I saw the Rodney King thing, and that was caught on videotape, and that, you know, you know, California, I saw California burning and stuff like that. So he's more heightened. So a lot of these incidents that happened in between those times that didn't get caught on videotape, people didn't really believe it because I've told people some of the stuff that happened to me, and they're like, really? And they, they just took it like, oh, yeah, that doesn't really happen just because you're black, you know, that doesn't really, but, you know, because of the video and, and the dash cam and everything now, it's become a little bit harder to hide a lot of this stuff and it become a little, you know, people are more aware. And when I say people, I mean outside the black community are more aware that, oh yeah, this really does happen. You know, it's like, I don't care who you were, um, what nation you were from. Uh, I have friends in, in Europe. I have friends in Africa. I have friends all over the place. And all of them, the same thing. When they look at the video, the same thing they see. Like, how could that person be human that just stay there and take someone's life and don't even really think about it? Just like, just sitting there with like no emotion. You know, so it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a human, it's a universe thing. It's a human being thing. And, you know, for for me now, when when that was going on, I am glad to see that the, not, that the incident happened. Not, I'm not glad that the incident happened, but I'm glad that the universe, the world, get to see what most young black male and female have been going through for hundreds of years now uh, without no regards for, for our lives. I wonder if it was a little bit of um, vindication when you saw that this was captured, having your own stories. You already shared three incidents where you were approached by officers from your car from a stop. So I wonder if you felt any vindication or maybe validation is the better word when you see this information coming out and you see it coming to a head and being publicized in the media. Did you kind of connect that to, hey, that happened to me? and I'm glad that the world is seeing what happened. Yeah, and, yeah, and that's, that's exactly it. You know, I think of, yeah, some of these things have happened to me in the past, and um, uh, although it didn't get as bad for my family as it did for George Floyd or some of the others, but, you know, it definitely was bad. I mean, if, if I, you know, when I tell my mother that 
we got pulled over on the Jersey Turnpike and the officers came out and they had guns pulled on us and put us in handcuffs. You know, her react she was crying. You know, so if you think if you think about that, you know, go beyond that and think about the people that died, the black people that died on the in the hands of uh, law enforcement, what their family must be going through because they, they, they no longer have their brother, their sister, their father. You know, they aren't there, you know, their niece, you know, it's, 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 it's a big deal because again, just telling my mother, oh yeah, I was putting handcuffs, I had guns drawn on me, I was putting handcuffs sitting on the side of the highway. I remember cars driving by, you know, honking at, you know, us, cause you was, you, you, you would have thought the whole police department was on the highway, I mean, probably 10, 15 cars for four young black men, four 18 year olds, you know, you have about 15 officers out there and you know they approach the car from both sides you know one on this side one on the other side a couple more behind with guns drawn get out the car with your hands up you know you know those type of things that you you know you comply because you know you you know you're not doing anything wrong so of course you know these guys are making a mistake you know so so yeah when when you see that happen and all the stuff that going on you know the marches and the stuff you 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 are happy and excited that other people are seeing this because again we live through this on a day to day basis, month to month basis. Some of it is a lot worse than them. Some of the stories are a lot worse than mine. Um, but yet, none of those should be a story. It should be anything um, close to what we you know we go through um, every year in in, in this country. I absolutely do not discount perspective and I don't discount experiences. So I thank you for sharing it, but I don't believe that there's ever a continuum of uh, his story's worse than mine or her story's worse than mine. Some things, as you said, and you stated this so beautifully, it shouldn't be a story. It shouldn't be our experience. It should not be your experience. And I wonder now, there is another aspect to this. You're in this great sorry, great position where you get a chance to connect with students and you've been able to connect with students for a number of years now. Is there anything that you say? Do you get a chance to advise young athletes on putting themselves in a position where they're not in what was your position? Yeah, well, the the big thing I can say to them and I say to them is you know, just make sure that you are not doing anything illegal. Um, because, again, it, it just take one person. You just take one law enforcement person to maybe having a bad day or just feeling a certain way and pull the trigger. Because, again, when they approach you, most of the time it's going to be hands on the gun or a gun drawn, and it just take one incident for I mean, it only take one bullet to kill somebody. You don't have to shoot him several times. If the bullet hit the right spot, that person is dead. So, and just comply. The, the, the biggest thing you can do is comply and know your rights too, because you know, you, you know, you, you have a First Amendment, you have a Fifth Amendment. Know your rights, and if you, you know, if you know your rights, then that also help. You know, if you know um, things that you you can or cannot do or can and cannot say or don't have to actually don't have to talk to a, a law enforcement person. You don't have to talk to them. 
Um, so, but you have to you have to know that and just be mindful that there you have to look at it as you're in control at the moment, and for you to be respectful and just comply. And a lot of times, it's it, it gonna went, go smooth. Um, if you don't comply, then you might have you know other issues to deal with. So um, you can always follow up after. You can always follow up off after, but in the moment, don't do anything to go to jail um, because no nobody wants to be in jail. You have this so so um, such a great synopsis. Did anyone teach you this, or did you just gather this through your experience? Did someone sit you down and say, "All right, Clive, these are the rules. Comply." Well, I don't know if someone sat me down and said these are the rules. Um, but I think I had a great coach at, and a mentor at Lincoln University, Cyrus Jones, and you know he always told us to do the right thing. Um, his philosophy if, is if if some someone slap you on one cheek, um, turn the other cheek. His philosophy is kill people people that are being mean or being uh, vindictive to you is to kill them with kindness. So that's those are his philosophies. So sometimes, you know, sometimes he speak to me in my in my moment of anger. He, I can hear his voice, you know. So I think that's I could, could say that one person that actually helped me to see things in a different way, you know, to have a broader perspective. Don't you know? Can't be so can't be very tunnel vision when it comes to the world. Because you can, you cannot control what other people do. You only can control your own reaction to what they do. And if I let someone control my reaction, then I give them all the control over me. That's right. That's how we maintain power. And you've said it so beautifully. You summed it up. And I think I'm just going to pause it there because I don't want to take away from this last part that you said about being a mentor. I feel like that's a wonderful way to end our segment. And I know that as you spoke about your mentor, you are also a mentor to so many other youth, to families, to individuals. So I know you're stepping into that role yourself, so thank you for it. Yeah, no problem. Clive, thanks for talking with me. This is a wonderful conversation. You've illuminated some really good points. You brought some things back into, um, into the forefront, and we need to keep on having these type of conversations, so thank you for being a part of it. Thank you for having me. What a pleasure. Thanks for listening in today. Special thanks to our producer, Johnny Marquat, and executive producer, David DeRoche. Music is provided by Audio Hero from their Jazz Lounge album. To learn more about all of our podcasts, visit qu.edu slash podcast. You can listen to our podcast on the platform or app of your choice. Be sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at QUPodcast. If you have a story to share or something you want to talk about, Find us on social media or shoot us an email. The address is qupodcast at qu.edu. On the next show, I'll be sitting down with Reverend Orsella Hughes, Executive Director of the Prosperity Foundation. All right, that's it for today. Till next time.